Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. A unified democratic government will recalibrate the focus of state attorneys general. Alyssa Garden Schwartz joins Stan Garnett and a recent addition to the Brownstein team, former U.S. Senator and Arkansas Attorney General Mark Pryor, to discuss new issues state AGs are likely to focus on and how heightened partisanship in Washington, D.C. may influence the agendas of state AGs across the country. Welcome to the latest installment of the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. My name is Alyssa Gardner Schwartz. I am a shareholder in the firm's litigation department in the Denver office. I specialize in consumer protection and antitrust. And prior to joining Brownstein, I was the consumer protection chief in the Colorado Attorney General's office. I'm pleased to be joined today by uh, two of my esteemed uh, fellow shareholders here at Brownstein. I have Senator Mark Pryor, who is a former two-term Democratic U.S. Senator from Arkansas, as well as a former Arkansas Attorney General, um, as well as Stan Garnett, who heads up our government investigations practice here at Brownstein. Um, Stan is a trial-tested litigator, and prior to uh, uh, joining, rejoining Brownstein a few years ago, served as the Boulder District Attorney for almost 10 years here in Colorado. Um, so welcome to you both. And today we're talking about the continued engagement of uh, state attorneys general as um, sort of being at the forefront of, of government investigations and how businesses should be thinking about that engagement. So I want to start uh, by noting that, you know, Washington, D.C. has become increasingly, for lack of a better term, dysfunctional and gridlocked, um, becoming uh, highly contentious. And as a result, um, we're seeing state attorneys general sort of um, jump in to uh, areas where things are not getting done in D.C. Um, and to try and solve issues themselves. That said, in recent years, I think we're seeing more of that sort of partisanship seep into the attorney general community. Um, and we're seeing that reflected in um, their approach to their enforcement authority and to their interactions with each other. And so, Senator Pryor, I wanted to start with you as a former state AG. Do you think there's been more of a partisan shift in the AG community in terms of uh, the priorities of state AGs? And do you think that this is going to continue and how is that going to, you know, sort of unfold in the next you know, few years? Yeah, that, thank you, Alyssa. That's a great question. And, and the answer is yes. I do think that in the last, you know, decade or more, you've seen an increase in partisan activity, possibly even you could say activism, if that's which the word you want to use on behalf of the state attorneys general. Uh, you know, my personal view on this is I don't like it. I think it's maybe a waste of time and waste of state resources. But I, even more than that, I feel it's just beyond the mission of what state AGs are supposed to. But regardless, that's where we are. It's like a lot of things in politics today and the AGs just aren't immune is things are just more partisan and more political today than they I would, I would argue than they should be and certainly than they need to be. But regardless of that, yes, you, you see a, a big uptick in 
sort of political agendas being carried out on the state level and oftentimes among the states with, you know, one side of the partisan AG group, you know, doing one thing or the other side doing another. Um, Certainly, I think the Trump years were contentious uh, with uh, Democratic AGs in the last four years suing uh, the federal government or bringing suits that, that the federal government wouldn't bring. Um, and I think that when I was attorney general, I, I would say that that I don't remember that happening. I remember our sort of internal discussions and, and the, the tension really being about the 10th Amendment. And, you know, the 10th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution talks about the powers that are delegated to the U.S. government, to the federal government, versus those delegated to the states and to the people. So really, it's it's kind of a, it's a short, it's a one-sentence amendment, but it really lays out the, the concept of federalism and how that's going to work in our system. So anyway, there, was, there were legitimate philosophical discussions about that, not always along partisan lines, by the way, but those were the discussions that I recall, not this uh, Democrat versus Republican thing. And actually, I was there when the Republicans started the Republican AG Association and I actually wrote a letter to all my 49 colleagues encouraging them not to do it, encouraging the Democrats not to follow suit. But of course, you know, I lost that conversation and and we have uh, DAGA and RAGA today. Uh, so anyway, regardless of that, there's some other history, maybe with the big tobacco companies and how some of this really kind of started uh, back in the day. But the net result is I think the um, state AGs, uh, at least on some issues, want to now fit into a partisan matrix that they didn't before. So I think that's the bottom line. Stan, what what's your perspective on this? I mean, from sort of watching um, from your role, both in private practice and as, you know, a, a fellow um, a government authority, what, what did you observe in the AG community in terms of partisanship? Well, thanks, Alyssa. It's a great question. And I think Senator Pryor uh, summed it up uh, pretty well. Um, you know, I started practicing law in 1982 and uh, the attorney general in Colorado at the time was a guy named J.D. McFarland. Uh, who was not a particularly activist fellow. And I, th- and I think Senator Pryor identified that and mentioned the tobacco settlement that occurred in the 90s, which was a result of state attorneys general uh, pursuing tobacco companies and, and, and recovering a very significant amount of money that was able to be used to the benefit of states. I also think that one of the impacts in the 90s was Elliot Spitzer getting elected in New York Elliot, it's hard to remember since he has somewhat uh, tainted memory now, but Elliot was seen as a very progressive, idealistic uh, attorney general. I think he was first elected in 1998, and he was seen as really using the AG power to clean up Wall Street and do a number of progressive activist things. And a lot of people wanted to imitate that in their own context. And then I think what's happened is states attorneys general have sort of become proxies for their respective parties in raising issues. And I remember I was elected district attorney in 2008, and it was in 2010 after the Affordable Care Act had been passed when state's attorneys general uh, lined up on partisan sides on the constitutionality of the individual mandate, which of course eventually ended up in front of the Supreme Court. So I think 
What that means is the role has changed. I certainly agree with Senator Pryor. I don't know that that's for the, for the better. Uh, but for our clients, what it means is they really have to pay attention uh, to what particular attorneys generals are doing and where they're headed. And uh, we have to, to make sure we're ready to represent them and help them in the issues that arise. Absolutely. And, and I'll just add from, from my time in the Colorado Attorney General's office, you know, it was interesting because I was there from about 2007 to 2019. And during that time, um, you, you did see that things got increasingly political in terms of um, agendas within uh, AG offices, enforcement agendas in particular. You know, you saw some sort of creative thinking around climate change and consumer protection theories around climate change um, enforcement, AG enforcement actions. Um, we saw a lot of activity from Democratic AGs looking into practices in consumer lending, including um, education lending, student loan servicing, um, I think in part because of a perceived stepping back from that enforcement by federal agencies under the Trump administration, specifically the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Um, and interestingly, on the other side, something I observed when I was in the AG's office here in Colorado was that the, the Republican AGs, something that a lot of people don't realize is that uh, under the Class Action Fairness Act, attorneys general get notices of class action settlements um, where they have consumers in their jurisdictions that are impacted. And it was interesting, um, there was a group of Republican AGs that kind of took this opportunity to really push back on the plaintiff's bar and to push back on settlements that awarded um, a lot of attorney's fees to class counsel or that had some element of Cypre award where money was going not to impacted consumers, but instead going to some sort of um, organization. Um, that sometimes may or may not have been aligned with the uh, defendant in the action. So um, it was very interesting to see that sort of politicization of, um, of agendas and enforcement um, during, you know, the past several years. Now I want to talk about, you know, looking forward, right? We have a democratic administration now, um, and I'm really interested to, to, see it, um, what you all are thinking in terms of what we are going to see from state AGs, what our clients should be thinking about now that there has been a change um, in administration. Uh, Senator Pryor, I'll start with you. What, what do you think we're going to be seeing in the next few years? Well, this is, this is a, a great question because um, everybody, you know, wants to get the crystal ball out and think about what, what the Biden administration will do and what the state AGs will do, what the Congress will do. Right now, it's clearly climate change is a, is a very high priority for the administration. So I'm thinking that probably because the Biden administration will be so active on this. The, the, the AGs may not be because, you know, the federal government's going to kind of be doing all it can do. And so there may not be a lot of room for AGs to help much on this or maybe not that significantly. But I think one area that I would like to focus on just for a moment is antitrust. And the reason I say that I actually just wrote an op-ed in the New York Times 
on the head of uh, the antitrust division, which has not been filled yet by the Obama by, by the Biden administration, at least not as far as I know. Uh, there was an announcement in the last 15 minutes. But I focused a little bit in that op-ed on Robert Jackson from 1937 to 1938, about 14 months, who really reinvigorated that effort. And, you know, I believe that antitrust, the proper antitrust um, enforcement actually creates uh, lots of opportunities in our economy. It creates competition. It makes sure that the, the level, the playing field is level and things like that. So I think it's an example of how if the Biden administration will put someone in there who's really committed to doing that, you may not see a lot of AG activity on it, but if he puts someone in like we've had in recent years, then um, my guess is you will see an uptick in, in attorney general antitrust enforcement. And by the way, a lot of that is is state law, not even federal law. So there, most states have some sort of antitrust law. And so some states will be very, very active on this and others uh, won't be as, as much. But that, that'd be one area I'd be I'd be looking for. Right. I, I think it's fair to say um, Colorado will probably continue to be active in antitrust, right? Because our attorney general, Phil Weiser, um, who uh, Stan and I both know pretty well, he's, he's an antitrust guy. And I think he's been very vocal about uh, cementing the state AG's role in antitrust enforcement and really sort of raising the specter of that. Yeah. And, and I, I want to also let both of you all answer that question too, but one other thing just came to mind uh, before I forget it. I just want to mention it. Another area that there could be a lot of activity on is privacy. And one reason I say that is because privacy, maybe kind of like tobacco used to be, the federal government seems incapable of handling a major privacy piece of legislation uh, or even the federal agencies seem incapable of dealing with this. So what you're seeing is states all over the country are putting in their own privacy laws into effect. That that patchwork actually is not good. We need a national standard, things like that. So I think that unless uh, Congress and this administration get together and really focus on privacy and make it a priority, I think you'll see a lot of activity in the states on privacy. And again, like tobacco, whereas the federal government used to not seem to be able to know how to deal with tobacco, it took the states coming together to bring that huge lawsuit before the tobacco you know, thing kind of worked its way out, got settled out. And I think privacy may be that same thing, which could be a rocky road for uh, companies that are interested uh, in privacy issues. I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great example of where the sort of uh, dysfunction in D.C. has led the states and state AGs in particular to jump in and fill the void and really um, be aggressive on privacy, even if they don't yet have a specific data privacy law, right? We see lots of states using their unfair and deceptive acts and practices laws to address issues related to data privacy, Stan, what do you think? What do you think we're going to be seeing from state AGs in light of a Democratic administration? Well, I think uh, you guys have summed it up pretty well. And I think what uh, Senator Price described is a, a, a reality that state AGs 
uh, tend to fill a void. Uh, it's up to the federal government to create the void, and then they fill it in whatever way is appropriate. I do very much believe uh, that climate change issues have to be dealt with by the largest governmental structure possible. I've been, this is a side point, probably another podcast, but I've been pretty active in Latin America with um, academics in both Chile and Argentina, and they have talked a lot about how difficult it is to deal with climate change on a nation-state basis. For example, trying to control a burning of jungle in the Amazon when you have five different countries that control the Amazon. It's very difficult. So that should be a federal issue. If it's not, I have no doubt you'll see state AG activity. I think uh, my experience as a general commercial and now white-collar litigator has been through the years that uh, state attorneys general get involved in almost anything that the federal government gets involved in. And our clients need to know that. I've done a lot of toxic tort litigation and defense of EPA actions and that kind of thing. And every one of those had a state attorney general component, either because of statutory agency overlap uh, that the EPA had delegated to state uh, agencies or for other reasons. So um, the bottom line is any of our clients who have governmental investigation or regulatory issues need to be aware that there will be a state attorney general component of that, which may be more serious for them if they don't get a handle on it and get it uh, resolved than the, the federal issues. And I do think the privacy points you guys noted are going to be very interesting to watch, whether the federal government is able to develop a cohesive approach uh, or whether there will be a void that state, state attorneys general decide need to be filled with a particular approach for their states. I think that's absolutely correct. Um, and I think noting that, you know, state AGs will, you know, wherever they have jurisdiction, wherever they want to express their views or their position vis-a-vis um, -vis their constituents, they're, they're going to weigh in. And I think, you know, just I would add that even though, sort of going back to a point I made earlier, even though um, the CFPB will certainly be reinvigorated under the Biden administration and under um, uh, Rohit Chopra, you should still expect state AGs to be very active in the consumer finance space. Um, they will be partnering certainly with the CFPB and the FTC um, you know, more often, I would think, given the, the Democratic administration. But um, because there are, you know, consumer finance is something that is historically regulated both at the federal level and the state level, I don't think you're going to see states let up in that area, particularly with the proliferation of alternative financing arrangements that are popping up. People are getting very creative in terms of how to find different ways to extend credit uh, to consumers. And that's something that states, I think, are going to stay on top of, um, even in the new administration. So the, the final question that I want to put to the two of you is, you know, what do you think it is important for clients to be thinking about when it comes to opportunities or risks that state AG investigations and litigation can present? You know, I think it's really useful, of course, for clients to have an understanding of where state AGs are coming from in terms of the issues that, you know, they'll be focusing on, like we just talked about. But, you know, it's, I think it's also really important for companies to um, be a little bit more proactive, right, in thinking about those areas and thinking about if their business models fall within those areas. 
Um, oftentimes, you know, I advise clients that if they are in a, an industry that has the potential to be a target to uh, figure out a way to get ahead of problems that might be coming down the pike and find a way to meet with AGs prior to their industry becoming a focal point. So they can sort of have the first shot at um, constructing the narrative. Senator Pryor, what, what do you think about that? I mean, I don't know if you experienced that strategy as AG um, or if you've implemented that strategy since. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Alyssa. I think that it's really important for clients, uh, companies to try to anticipate what state AGs are doing uh, or will do. And I think oftentimes it can be critically important for that company or that client to try to get an audience with, it doesn't have to be the state AG him or herself, but with the AG's office on this issue, whatever it happens to be. You know, a, a lot of observations there, but one mistake that I see that clients make is they, you know, look at firms and they'll look at a firm and say, gosh, this firm has 10 or 15 people that are, you know, Department of Justice alums. That's great. They're perfect for us. Not really, because the there's the, the state attorney general is a completely different animal than DOJ. And if you don't have some experience and background and familiarity with how the state AGs operate, then you're going to be at a detriment there. And um, I think that, uh, not to brag on our firm, but obviously we have a lot of experience with two former AGs in the firm. And then, of course, you, Alyssa, we have others who have come through AG offices. But I think that the, the what a lot of people don't quite know how to deal with is the political nature of state AGs. Most of these AGs are elected by the people. Many of them are going to go on and run for governor or run for the Senate or something else at some point. So some of them have political aspirations, but that doesn't mean that they're going to make totally political decisions. It takes it takes a team to really understand what how the AGs operate and oftentimes how a particular state AG operates. And also, let me say a couple of things, because I know you all have some really good comments on this as well. But I think that um, one thing that clients need to know is, you know, maybe the worst case scenario is when you see all 51. I'm going to count D.C. now because they have an elected AG but all 51 jurisdictions go after a client or an issue, that's bad. But you know what? It can really be bad if just one goes or, or if a handful, you know, 10 go or something like that. So you just need to be aware that um, they have the potential of really uh, disrupting uh, what companies are trying to do. And also one final point for me on that, is we were talking about the political nature of the AGs before, the partisan nature before. And I think sometimes you will see these lawsuits today or investigations today. Like, for example, right now, you might see one with the AGs filing a suit, the Republican AGs filing a suit and basically saying, we're doing this because the Biden administration isn't doing its job. And I think we just saw that uh, with the uh, pipeline my guess is we'll see that with immigration. We'll see that with a few other things, you know, in the coming months or years. But um, anyway, that that 
can happen too. And all this kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier. But um, anyway, thank you for that question. And, and you're exactly right. Stan, what's your perspective on what clients should be thinking about if they're staring down a state AG inquiry or investigation? Well, I think the main thing clients need to know is uh, it can get bad and it can get bad quickly. Um, and uh, the biggest mistake I see that clients make is um, not realizing early on that they need to get counsel involved, skilled counsel who understand uh, the issues, understand the stakes, and who are focused on, as both you and Senator Pryor said, figuring out how to how to head off the worst case scenario. You know, we uh, in any litigation practice, but particularly in governmental investigations, our job is to help clients manage problems they wish they didn't have. And how do we help them resolve and put behind them a situation that uh, they can't really understand how they got here, but they, they get the government's interested, et cetera. And the number one thing is the minute you get a phone call from a regulatory agency or your uh, third in command in the environmental compliance department gets a very innocent sounding letter from uh, a uh, assistant attorney general in a state, uh, make sure that you get your corporate counsel, your in-house counsel involved, and that you get skilled outside counsel who can help you figure it out um, to make sure that it doesn't turn into a huge problem. Because most governmental agencies, and I, of course, have not been in an attorney general's office, but I was a pretty activist uh, district attorney, and we had a lot of authority on consumer protection and other things. Most of them are uh, very interested in using their resources appropriately. They don't want to pursue somebody uh, that, that is willing to address the problem. Uh, they want to put their, their efforts into the cases that really warrant a full-blown um, uh, approach. And so our job is to help our clients get a handle on the issue, get in there, meet with the appropriate people, say either hey, this is a misunderstanding, what you guys think happened, or we get it, we understand there was a concern, we've addressed it, here's what we've done to get into compliance, and therefore, you don't have to worry about us further, we'll you know, enter into consent decrees or whatever that might work, and let the government agency then go focus on the bad actors. But you need counsel to do that. I have a case uh, in, the, in the, I was uh, uh, interviewing with a new client both today and yesterday, uh, where they should have gotten in touch with us about a year and a half ago uh, because they kept thinking that, hey, we didn't do anything wrong. It's all fine. And they're going to understand that. And, you know, we don't have to get lawyers involved. And, and that's not happened. And they're now looking at uh, possibly very significant litigation uh, or consequences from a, from a governmental investigation that could be very difficult. So uh, clients need to be sophisticated. We need to make ourselves available and they need to get us involved uh, early so we can keep a minor problem from beginning and becoming a major problem. I couldn't agree more. I think, I think the general theme is that, you know, get ahead of what could be a potential inquiry from an AG's office. And, and I think a final point on that, you know, Stan, going to what you were saying about the resources in AG offices being limited, that also plays into how they find their cases. So I would encourage clients, you know, if you are looking at a class action that's been filed against you, or if you are, you know, received a subpoena from a federal agency, um, you should probably immediately start thinking about, do I need to start engaging state AGs on this? Because, 
everybody's looking at whatever, what, you know, everybody else is doing when it comes to uh, areas of authority where, where AGs play, right? And so, um, again, really important to think early on about contacting counsel and making sure you can head off um, an investigation or litigation at the pass. Couldn't agree more. Well, um, this has been a great discussion. Thank you both for your time today and um, really appreciate your, your thoughtful insights. And to the folks listening out there, thank you for listening and um, tune in again to the next edition of the Brownstein podcast series for more useful information. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.